Americans were singing, let's remember Pearl Harbor, and when the caissons go rolling along. And Americans were sustaining their morale with other songs that were calls not to battle, but to smile, singing, don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me, the Hutsut song. And you leave the Pennsylvania station a quarter to four, read a magazine, and then you're in Baltimore. In that Baltimore, the Orioles flew lower than today's baseball birds because the team was just AAA. There were white wooden houses with big front porches and grand white stoops that had been famous for a hundred years. And a theater called the Hippodrome that had both films and the nation's last vaudeville shows for 25 cents. And the homes of H.L. Mencken and Edgar Allan Poe. And an edifice, poetically called the Bromo Seltzer Tower, the only American monument that involved indigestion. In Manhattan, a college boy met his date under the Biltmore clock. In Baltimore, he met her under the fizz. And there was milk delivered in bottles, and mail delivered twice a day, and a boy named Charlie Wood delivering the Baltimore Sun and the Saturday Evening Post, flinging the sun up the old white porches like a basketball forward making a perfect feed. I wasn't considered an athlete at nine because no varsity played my sport, the newsprint drive-by on a flying Schwinn. It was while making those newspaper deliveries, trying to miss the bushes and hit the porch, that I first learned the importance of accuracy in journalism. And while I flew and flung, I used to sing such winged words as blackstrap molasses and wheat germ bread make you feel so good you wish you were dead. I always felt good and wanted to stay alive so I could keep feeling that way. Not that death was ever real to me. Every nine-year-old is immortal. And so I merrily sang about wishing I were dead, never pondering the meaning of those loony lyrics, any more than I could translate into English, Hutsut Rolson on the Rillara and the Brala Brala Suet. I simply knew that I felt in those days happy to be alive and living in a city where a trolley could take me to Gwyn Oak Amusement Park, one of two amusement parks right in the city. The roller coaster at Gwyn Oak was where I swooped down in my own space shuttle and looked for German saboteurs who might have been trying to sneak into Baltimore Harbor. Of course, the Germans would want to come to Baltimore, which had more Germanic people than the Sudetenland. None of them, however, yearned for union with the fatherland. When I was looking down on that city from the top of the coaster's highest hill, I was taking for granted the easy enchantment of an America that was posing for the covers of the Saturday Evening Post. An America captured on film by MGM. In fact, many movies about the 40s opened with my life, a scene into which a boy on a bike comes riding and tossing newspapers up to the porches, where people were learning words like Blitzkrieg, Bushido, Bishi, and Guadalcanal. That boy was often Mickey Rooney, wondering if he could meet Judy Garland at the malt shop to talk about putting on a show. Although evil was on the march all over the world, the America celebrated in the films of 1942 was still an innocent place where malt had nothing to do with beer, and a show didn't need corporate underwriting. It needed only Mickey and Judy's allowances, an empty barn, and a cast that was paid in milkshakes. My best boyhood pal was also a girl— my slightly taller, slightly younger sister, Mary Ann, a highly intelligent girl who followed the Orioles and the war, not always in that order, 
as keenly as I did. "'Montgomery just beat Rommel,' said Marianne, one day. Some of our neighbors might have thought she was talking about a high school football game. But Marianne and I knew that North Africa was no longer just scenes of caravans that you looked at while waiting to see the dentist. In 1942, Barbara Streisand, Paul McCartney, Wayne Newton, and Muhammad Ali were born. And so was something that would be considerably less entertaining. Born beneath a football field at the University of Chicago. The atomic bomb. But my family wasn't informed. My father was brilliant at math and could add a column of figures at a glance, but he knew nothing about radiation. If asked, the average American that year might have said that radiation was what came through the pipes in winter. Nevertheless, the American home front was crackling with a different kind of power. Irrepressible good cheer. A two-ocean war was creating cosmic darkness.